Social media, little evil, little positive, has its pros and cons, but has done a lot for the way that women can present themselves, especially because in the history of representation, so much of what we see of women was actually controlled by men. Hi, I'm Sarah Casconi, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News, where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. I'm sure you've heard it. For the past few months, the U.S. news media has been following the saga of pop star Britney Spears and the unusual conservatorship arrangement which prevents her from controlling her own finances or life decisions. It was put in place more than a decade ago after a very public breakdown. In June, Spears spoke out for the first time in court, asking for the conservatorship to be terminated. What, you may ask? Does this have to do with art? It turns out that long before the Free Britney movement had people poring over her Instagram for clues, or the New York Times documentary Framing Britney revisited what her story said about the media and misogyny, she's been a surprisingly potent symbol for artists. In fact, maybe more than any other recent pop star. They've used her image to talk about sexism, about fame, about consumerism, and about the dark side of the 2000s. Why Britney in particular? And does today's reckoning with the recent past change the way that pop art takes on pop music? In a recent essay for Artnet News, LA-based art journalist Janelle Zara looked at artists' fascination with Britney Spears, asking these questions and a whole lot more. I'm happy to talk with her today. Hi, Janelle. Welcome to The Art Angle. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being with us. So I wanted to ask you, when did you first notice that artists were making work about Britney Spears? And what made you decide it was an art trend worth writing about? So I'm not sure if it's an art trend per se. What I would say is that the article that I wrote is maybe less about maybe using art as a way to talk about Britney and then using Britney as a way of talking about a subject that I've been concerned with for a long time, which is the late 90s, early aughts and how that was just a totally fucked, weird era of cultural production. And I would have to say specifically in white cultural production in America. And I imagine also specifically about the way young white women were being represented in the media. There's so many weird things about the 90s era of Britney. So what is amazing about Britney is that her career kind of perfectly bookends this period that I think is so crazy that she dropped her first single in like 1999. And then 2007 and 2008 is the point where you see her shaving her head and kind of having her fall from grace. And that period of time for me is an extraordinary fraught and weird and fucked time in like white American cultural production. If you look back on it, it's especially jarring for someone like me who was a child during that time and not really understanding everything that's going on. But now looking back as an adult, especially with documentaries like Framing Britney Spears or even more recently Woodstock 99, it's that there was this really strange energy, like fashion was crazy bad. It was like this cosplay of like white American country aesthetics where you had rhinestone wife beaters and we had clothes called wife beaters and it was this era of like bubblegum pop TRL Britney 
the Backstreet Boys. And this strange optimism as we were approaching the new millennium that was really kind of not a gilded age, but maybe a candy-coated age where things seemed very glossy and optimistic and wonderful, but the underlying forces were extremely dark. And that includes the misogyny that we see very plainly acceptable in pop culture and like Britney being the center of that in a lot of ways. We had a weird obsession with teen sexuality. If you look at movies from that age, it's like, why did anyone make She's All That in the same year as American Pie, 10 Things I Hate About You, Varsity Blues, all these really heavily sexualized teenage movies. It's very weird, very disturbing. And Britney is really kind of emblematic of that era. I wonder what you think it is that's particularly about Britney that made her such an appealing subject, both then and now, for the media. And do you think that that appeal is the same thing that artists that are making work about her are responding to? Britney's appeal is so enigmatic. And this is a question that I pose to a lot of these artists. So the real kind of genesis of the story was that two years ago, I got invited to a press preview of The Zone, the Britney Spears experience, where you basically go into these different rooms that are set up like her classic music videos, such as Oops, I Did It Again, other favorites from that period. And what struck me is that people were willing to pay like $65 to go to this place. They said something like a thousand people a day were going. And it was such a large spectrum of people. It was like young children. It was adult couples on dates of all kinds of sexual orientations, groups of adults going through some kind of nostalgia tour. And what struck me is that there was something about Granny's image that was so potent, regardless of whether you operate in pop culture or in fine art, there is something about her that is enigmatic and strangely magnetic that definitely outlasted her peers. There is not this kind of fanfare over things that Christina Aguilera does. You know what I mean? Like a great example is when they both kissed Madonna on stage at the VMAs. So the two of them kissed Madonna. I think it was 2004. It was 2004. So you've done your own. No, I was on the red carpet as a red carpet seat filler that year. That is (laughs) amazing and iconic. So the thing was, both of them kissed Madonna that night, but people only cared that Britney did it. And maybe as like a 13-year-old or however old I was, I kept saying like, am I not seeing this correctly? Why is the media narrative only about Britney and not about Christina? That's something that we can see. It's like a recurring theme that for some reason, people were obsessed with every little thing that Britney did. And there's not a lot of figures that are like that. What comes to mind for me, Princess Diana, maybe Kanye West, maybe Donald J. Trump are incredibly divisive people who, whether you love them or hate them, every little thing they do is a headline. Today, it happens in the form of a tweet. If Trump tweets anything, it's a headline. With Britney, it was like she sneezed incorrectly. It was headline news. So, I mean, back to your question, why? That is a thing that we can't quite get around. So I talked to artist Casey Kaufman, somebody who said it's definitely something enigmatic, something you can study, but it is one of those things that's just kind of primal. She was very beautiful. I've been revisiting a lot of the music videos and I'm like, wow, she was really good. If you look at her choreography and just the registers of emotions that she could put on her face while she was performing are very hypnotic, I would say. I think also was this kind of that divisiveness that I mentioned earlier, that she was supposed to be a wholesome girl next door, but she was also very highly sexualized. So I think that kind of contradiction really appealed to people. 
all of that was really before we all witnessed her kind of hitting rock bottom in 2007 and 2008, which I think became like a whole new angle of interest on her life and career. How did that breakdown change her appeal? And especially for artists, because you think of like Andy Warhol, he only made his Marilyn Monroe silk screens after the actress committed suicide. So I'm wondering, did that undercurrent of tragedy in Britney's life and career make her more interesting to artists as a symbol? In my piece, there's only two out of four artists actually depicted that head-shaving moment in her work. So that happened in 2007. And it kind of follows this pop cultural progression or even like greater American cultural progression that was happening where things were just becoming unsustainable. Like it was just too much, this feedback loop of Britney doing something slightly off color, the media going crazy about it, it kind of pushing her a little farther and farther to the edge. That was really just the moment where it was no longer sustainable. So for Claire Tabaret, I interviewed her a long time ago, actually, not about Britney Spears, but in 2016, she had made her U.S. solo exhibition debut with an exhibition that featured two Britney Spears portraits. And she was in those images, half bald. She had shaved half her head and there was still a little bit hanging in the back. And the way that Claire Tabaret explained that to me was that she had not really known that much about Britney in 2007 when it happened, but she was just so astonished by what happened afterwards, which was this like endless circulation of images of that night. And an almost hunger, like a rabid kind of media paparazzi hunger about these images and the way they were circulated. And the fact that the media could exercise such a spectacular cruelty. Like on late night, Britney was the butt of every joke for a really long time. And this was a period of time that like Monica Lewinsky was kind of undergoing the same treatment. So it was just the savage moment for women where... There was no respite from it. There was no social media. There was no like place for Britney stands to like show their support. It was just this relentless onslaught. So I think that moment has a lot of potential to be mined for the emotional charge of that moment, just the sheer visual spectacle of it. And I want to say also that like the original version of the story that I pitched two years ago, this was like way before the documentaries came out and was unfortunately shelved because of the pandemic. But I thought that it was going to be aesthetic story, like the aesthetics of Britney Spears and how that relates to like a candy coated period of American culture. But I was at the Getty Museum and I saw a bust of this Byzantine emperor named Belisarius. And the wall text said that he was a popular allegorical figure among 18th century artists and writers as a symbol of the fallen hero. <laughs> like something clicked in my brain, like, oh, that's what these artists are doing with Britney right now. Today, there's kind of been with the documentaries like Framing Britney, there's been a growing recognition that the toxic behavior of the media and that kind of unrelenting harassment of the paparazzi that Britney endured were driving factors in that head shaving moment, that like rock bottom. Do you have any concern that the artists who are using Britney's image, particularly in that kind of vulnerable moment, are similarly complicit? And did any of the artists you spoke to have any 
ethical concerns along those lines? And, and if so, would they still make these works today? One artist, Casey Kaufman, she brought that up actually even before I asked her. She feels to be about my age and have like a similar viewpoint where it's jarring to look back at a moment that was in your own lifetime and see how extraordinarily toxic culture was. Like I look back at that early aughts and think, why did the grown-ups let this happen? This is so terrible. So she was more frequently using Britney Spears' image in her collage around 2015. And knowing that these are paparazzi images taken without her consent, without any context. And she feels bad. She no longer does that. She has really like pulled back on her usage of Britney because that is something that she has been thinking of. Conversely, I asked our Luke Dubois the same question. And what he said is that he doesn't feel particularly guilty about doing portraiture of living people, that what he's really talking about is cultural critique. He's talking about these systems around Britney rather than actually Britney herself. And from your perspective, do you see a parallel between the paparazzi trying to sell tabloids and artists selling paintings or sculptures, particularly given that there are like increasingly speculative prices being paid for work by some young artists? Part of one of my questions was, oh, does your work go viral when it features Britney Spears? Does it work in the same way when you transfer her image from media into fine art? I think that the virality of Britney's image is really powerful, but I think that there's a seriousness to all of these artists who have employed her image in their work. They were actually very thoughtful about it. They used her work to relate to much deeper themes The way that the paparazzi would, one, gather the image, which is like stalking her outside of her house, outside of her car, really wildly kind of mobbing her everywhere she went, was some other level beyond simply using her image in your work as a kind of allegorical figure. And at the same time, it's it's unavoidable. Even the Britney Spears documentary, the director, Samantha Stark, Her confession that as a journalist, she had to make this documentary without Britney's consent is in itself pretty fraught. And Britney herself has spoken out about this. Like, what a hypocrisy to make a piece of journalism about me, without my consent, about how people were telling her story without her consent. It's a difficult space because Britney is hard to get a hold of. And so you do have these ethical concerns that come up. Yeah, I felt really bad. I was reading that she cried watching the documentary for weeks. You cried after watching it. She hated it. She wrote an Instagram caption that, why does the media like to bring up the most humiliating times in my life? What hypocrisy. I want everyone to know that I've had some of the best times. So don't feel bad for me. And I also, I hope she doesn't know that we're talking about her now. (laughs) I mean, it's just unavoidable. It's like, that's the part of fame. You know, if you want people to see you, fame is the adoration of many, many people, right? There's no way that you can be exposed to that level of that volume of human beings and not have some of them like you. And I think the more people love you, the backlash is even stronger. Like the more people hate you. So I feel like this is pretty mild and I don't think she would be mad at us. But fame, really, it is a double-edged sword. And obviously, part of the reason that Britney became so famous was that she was such a beautiful young girl. And 
As a teenage girl, she was instantly sexualized. You know, her first music video for Hit Me Baby One More Time, just playing on the schoolgirl trope. And one of the artists, our Luke Dubois, one of the things he told you in the piece is that Spears's entire media management ecology was setting her up to maximize the Madonna whore dichotomy in really gross ways. So I'm wondering, how do you like those early depictions of her and her music videos and photographs and like the way that the media was obsessed with her body and her virginity and of her breasts were real. How does that relate to the Madonna horror complex as it appears in art history? As far as the Madonna horror complex, I feel like it's more that the Madonna appeared in art history as this kind of venerated figure. She's everything the male gaze would want her to be. The contradiction in itself that one of the most heralded religious women in history is both a mother and a virgin. So that means she's completely desexualized. And according to this Freudian idea of the Madonna whore complex, someone worthy of respect, of male respect. Conversely, like if you are sexually attractive, then you cannot be taken seriously because you're an object of male pleasure or like sexual fulfillment. And so I think the Madonna whore complex really appears as an image more in media than I can speak to in art. But it is when you see a 19 or 20 or 22-year-old Britney Spears go on a talk show or like a serious newscast and a grown man can ask her about the size and authenticity of her breasts. And that was perfectly acceptable behavior when I was like 13 years old. And the way that Luke says that it happened in really gross ways. It is really kind of disgusting, this kind of objectification of women, that there is no nuance between these things or that they can have multiple identities or that those identities are valuable. Can you tell the viewers a little bit about Luke's piece that you spoke to him about for the article? It's called pop icon Brittany, and it's actually in the permanent collection of the National Portrait Gallery. Luke's work is so beautiful. It is one of these rare instances where like a conceptual work of art is also just extraordinarily beautiful in like almost a hypnotic way. The way that the work appears is that it exists inside this very Baroque gold frame and there's a screen inside and it's short clips, maybe one or two second clips pulled from a Britney Spears greatest hits three DVD box set. And it's a continuous loop and it's never repeating, but her eyes are always locked in place. So the actual frame of the image, not the frame of the work, but the frame of the image is like kind of rotating around her. It's centered around her eyes. They're unwavering and they're kind of just looking into the viewer. And it's got this kind of Gaussian blur going on. And what's really astounding is also the sound component to it. He digitally placed her voice inside a Byzantine church in Ravenna, Italy, which is a site, a major site of Orthodox iconography. She has this kind of like ethereal glow as she's morphing back and forth between these videos while she's staring at you. And her acoustics match the echoing of this church. And it's all very like ethereal and surreal. So he's framing her as an icon in the original sense of the word, as an object of religious veneration. But the way that he made that piece was using surveillance technology that came out in like 2002, 
when the United States military was using it in the search for Osama bin Laden. So he saw this media fanfare around her and kind of recontextualized it as an invasion of privacy by using this surveillance technology, which is one of the other really, really dark things that came out of the aughts too. This is technology that emerged at the same time as the ascent of her career and at the same time as George W. Bush, at the same time as the war in Iraq, you know, also like the rise of neoliberalism or the ascent of it. It was just a very dark time. And I think that's what he's touching on. You also talk about an installation at a Paris gallery by a French artist, Christophe Rohan de Chabot. What was that work like and how was it responding to Britney's image? The thing about Christophe Rohan de Chabot is that both he and Claire Tabaret are looking at Britney Spears through the lens of her hair. Claire Tabaret, she depicts Britney Spears like half-shaven. And the way that Claire talked about that was that Britney was removing a symbol of her femininity as a way of saying, fuck everybody, I'm not playing this game anymore. But conversely, the way Christophe Rohan de Chabot, he had images of Britney Spears facing these images of skulls with these blonde, so-called semi-natural wigs on the floor between them, as if she was like shedding some kind of costume. But for him and conversations that we had, Britney is more of a symbol of commercial capitalist artifice, that she's not a real girl. She's a over-sexualized product. And I thought that was like a very interesting contrast in two French artists looking at Britney in such opposing views. The idea that Britney's not a real girl is interesting because since she's been under this conservatorship, access to her has been so controlled and really the only way that people can interact with her or see what's going on with her, particularly since she's kind of been on strike the past couple of years with her career on hiatus, is through social media, which everyone knows you can't believe what you see on Instagram And that's kind of the nexus of people's concern. The the whole Free Britney movement is that she's not being able to speak freely. She doesn't have control. What would you say about how Britney is shaping her own image now on social media in a way she couldn't in the early aughts and how that kind of changes the way people see her now? Social media, I think, has been a huge game changer for women in a lot of ways like ways that, you know, you might not think. Definitely, Britney is a strange case for because for a long time, fans didn't know if she was really the one posting. You would see these images of her dancing that seemed kind of silly and childish, which now in the context of knowing that she was placed on really heavy medications in her conservatorship, almost against her will, these images take on like a different meaning. But through social media, She has reshaped her image in this way. Like I think about how she would have these really disgusting kind of interviews where people would talk about her breast, her body, whether she cheated on Justin Timberlake. There's footage of her crying because Diane Sawyer like would not let the subject go. And she would remain so calm and collected, America's sweetheart. But now on social media, if you look at her Instagram captions, she's straight up like, hey, fuck everybody. I'm going to live my life. If you don't like it, don't follow me. I think in a lot of ways, she can truly be herself, even though that is truly a contradiction in social media. It is a space, and Casey Kaufman is 
the artist who brought this to light for me, that social media emerged into this space that women could really kind of control their own narrative, whether it's real or not, with the advent of auto face tune and writing your own captions or being able to set the record straight directly to your fans, having a direct connection to the public that's unmediated, that's unfiltered by gatekeeping news sources has been really powerful. Even Monica Lewinsky has this interview where she said, like, if social media had been around when I was going through the worst time in my life, I would have known that people supported me. The outpouring of support that I get now on Twitter is totally unprecedented and something I would never have been able to imagine back in like 1999. Social media, little evil, little positive, has its pros and cons, but has done a lot for the way that women can present themselves, especially because in the history of representation, so much of what we see of women was actually controlled by men. How did you kind of zero in on the particular artists that you featured in this article? And and I wonder, did you have any trouble kind of separating out the more earnest fan art about Britney from work that was more attempting to critique her and her place in pop culture? So I would say there's not like a terrible number of artists out there who are depicting Britney. I think at this point in time, there's not a lot of Britney art, but I think in the future, there'll be more as millennial aged artists who were a child during her peak are entering adulthood and kind of revisiting this nostalgia cycle of what happened in the earlier part of their lives and what that means. So it was hard finding artists, actually. I mean, I knew of Claire Tabaret because she mentioned it during an interview that we had totally unrelated, you know, when I first visited her studio. When you Google Britney Spears art, all that comes up is a thousand articles about how she was painting and then how she was going to have a gallery show and then how they were lying about that gallery show. So there's a lot of stuff to like work through. But actually what is so amazing is that like how viral that story went. That is absolutely nothing. Britney watercolors in her backyard and the crazy fanfare media circuits that just kind of ensued from that speaks to this virality of her that still exists and makes absolutely no sense. Which is not to say that Britney is not worthy of her attention. I think she very much is. There are media outlets who know that Britney is a source of clicks and will capitalize on any kind of news about her, which is not that different from tabloids paying up to a million dollars for a paparazzi shot of her. It's kind of the same thing, but in a different form, but hopefully more humane. Right. At least she's choosing what to share that's going to become the headline about her. Yeah. Or I someone mean, related to her is choosing, depending on what we think oh, about we who's running. We have no idea, truly. <laughs> but like the way that Claire Tabaret really described her is really beautiful. That when she saw these images of Britney shaving her head, she said it was a, a moment of beauty. She thought it was grace and like really empowering to say, I'm not going to do this performance for you anymore. And really taking control of your own image. I think definitely you see that theme in Casey Kaufman's work as well. Coincidentally, they're the two female artists that I cover in this story. Yeah, and I think Britney's showing that bravery again now, trying to speak out and change her her legal situation. You know, I wasn't a super fan of Britney as a child, but I'm really rooting for her now. One of the most famous people in the world, not having access to her own money, not having access to her car, not being able to drive, having essentially no freedom. And before our very eyes, we've all been watching it very actively. 
she has millions of followers on Instagram who are like cheering her on in a lot of this footage that when I look at now, I'm like, you are overly medicated. This is alarming. You know, looking back, a lot of things are easier to see. Hindsight is 2020. Given our growing understanding of like just how controlling this conservatorship is and what it's done to her, do you think that part of the reason that you're personally feeling more like a Britney fan do you think that Britney in 2021 has more of a feminist appeal that she was lacking in her early years of fame? What is so funny is that like as an allegorical figure, I think that history sometimes gets distorted, that it's not really based on true events. Britney never really spoke of women's rights. You know, she's no Malala, but looking backwards, uh, the things that make her a feminist icon are the things that she had undergone. She was not a vocal advocate, not that I know of, but (laughs) just like for being a survivor of this like awful male gaze driven media treatment is what makes her kind of perfect as an allegorical figure. One of the key points in the documentary was that people would speak of Britney as being a puppet. Oh, this poor exploited child. She's being over-sexualized by her handlers. But in reality, there's a lot of testimony to say that, no, Britney actually chose this concept. It had to go by her. It had to be approved. She had more agency than even the media would allow you to believe. This narrative that she was just kind of along for the ride for her own career, they're debunking in this documentary, which I think is also an important thing to consider. Now, with the additional attention being brought to this aspect of Britney's life by the documentary, by the the Free Britney movement, looking back at the artists who were making work about Britney before all of that really came to the forefront, do you feel like they were ahead of the curve on the kind of cultural reckoning about this kind of toxic culture, this toxic media, the way that it was treating women, the way it was objectifying them? Do you feel like they were ahead of the curve on that awareness that we are kind of coming to today? I think maybe in terms of Britney, yes. But I think these changes in the way that we treat women in popular culture has been an ongoing project. And it's a gradual thing that happens over years and years, which is why it's so jarring to look back. And, you know, to also understand that 1999 was 22 years ago and realizing that so much has changed. It's a little bit shocking because when I hear older generations complaining about cancel culture and how kids today can't take a joke or that in any way that young white men are having a difficult time in today's climate, I look back on the time that they had free reign. It was fucking terrible. Did you speak to any of the artists about the Free Britney movement and what did they think about it and did it affect the way they thought about Britney as a symbol? We did not really talk about the Free Britney movement, but like this part of the question, what is the future of Britney art? I think as more people my age, I'm like a mid-range millennial, are growing into adulthood in their careers and reflecting on this period of their childhood, especially because Britney is in such the headlines now. I would think that there's going to be more Britney Spears art going forward maybe in the next 10 years, maybe beyond that. But yeah, she's come to symbolize such a crazy like cultural reckoning. 
that's so fraught and also just so visually appealing. It's just like such a strange time and place that she encapsulates almost so perfectly. And, you know, the end of Britney 2007, 2008 coincided with the end of George W. Bush. We're going to have Obama next. People really wanted hope and change. And not exactly because of Britney, but I'm saying that her career ascent and ultimate collapse reflects these greater undercurrents that were going on at the same time. With Claire Tabaret and Casey Kaufman, the artists who have made this work a few years ago, has the recent news about the conservatorship, has that added any layers of meaning to the artworks for the artists or potentially changed the way these artworks could be perceived? Two out of four of the artists had actually watched the documentary. In our interview process, they were really reacting to it in real time, and they were all pretty disgusted by it. But at the same time, it was just reflecting themes that had already been in their work. And what's interesting to me was like just the wide breadth of themes and how they overlap and coincide among these four very different artists. Definitely for like Casey Coffin and R. Luke Dubois, I would say both of them are looking at how changes in technology have affected representation of women and identity and self-presentation. Claire and Christoph are both looking at hair as a key element of female performance and identity, but in very different ways. For Claire, removing hair is a gesture of female empowerment. And I think what Christoph was saying is that Britney's act of femininity has nothing to do with the reality of femininity. It's very much like an over-sexualized performance, like a very capitalist kind of product that had been forced on him as a child over his TV. Both Casey and Claire are talking about female empowerment and the way that the representation of women throughout history has been controlled by men. And also, Casey and Kristoff are both looking at Britney through this lens of nostalgia. They feel like they're about the same age, and they're both talking about, like, as children seeing Britney on TV and their perception then, either their discomfort or naive obliviousness to it, and they're looking back on that moment. And so there's just many different lenses to look at Britney, and it's just so funny that these four artists kind of coincide on this subject, but in very, very different ways. Well, Janelle, thank you so much. This has been really fascinating. And I have to go watch some Britney Spears videos right now. So I'm going to log off. So <laughs> <laughs> You will be surprised looking backwards and being like, wait, this was really good in a way that, I don't know, I felt like I was too young to understand. But thank you so much for giving me a platform to talk about Britney Spears, not once, but twice in writing and in podcasts. So thank you so much. Thank you, Janelle. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. And if you have some feedback or maybe a recommendation for a future episode, go ahead and email us at podcasts at artnet.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at artnet.com. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening and see you next week.